You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. What is going on? This is Aaron Fishman's voice that you're hearing, and it's episode 8B that you're tuned into. I'm with the usual suspects. This is actually our first banter segment, all three of us together. In actually three weeks, we had the holiday and we've had other circumstances that have kind of taken us apart a little bit, but now we're back together again. And so after an illuminating and fun interview with Golden State of Mind's Andy Liu earlier in the week, we'll begin our discussion today with Clay Thompson. Take it away, Joshua. So Clay Thompson started the season out really struggling. He's gotten better now, but his shots are down. He's shooting more than three fewer per game. Overall, he's five points per game less than last season. His percentages are still really strong. He's just been hampered by this back injury. What do you think, Lauren? Does it matter that his scoring is down? Yeah, well, we talked about this with Andy a little bit after we finished recording off the record earlier this week. He seemed not too concerned about Clay. He did mention Clay having a little bit of discomfort in his back, and that's a little bit of an explanation of, of why he's at least offensively, in the beginning of the season, been slightly less aggressive. I think his shots are down, as we mentioned. Also, his free throw rate's down. But these past few games, he's hit four threes per game against Charlotte and Utah. So hopefully he's getting back into the swing of things. He's the type of guy that he do- it doesn't take much for him to get hot. So if he gets on this type of string of games where he contributes a little bit more, then I think he can get himself out of the slump. Yeah, I generally agree with what Lauren is saying. It's good to see Clay Thompson playing well, hitting his threes over the last three games particularly, but he's been rolling with his shot. And yeah, he's up to over 41% now from three. The points aren't quite there from what they were a season ago, but Stephen Curry's playing out of this world. They're 20 and 0. So obviously right now it doesn't matter. I think moving forward, looking long term, it could matter if he's not able to get it going to where he was last season, but all indications appear to the contrary that he will get it going. He already has been hitting a lot of his shots over recent weeks and Andy Liu said that he didn't see much of a drop-off defensively the whole season, which is kind of interesting that he thought the back problem was just manifesting itself on the offensive end. Regardless, it's good to hear that the defense has been there. And I'm not too worried. They have a system right now where everyone is playing a role. Clay Thompson's minutes are the same. He's just being more strategic about when he shoots, when he doesn't. And with Stephen Curry playing the way he is, Right now, there's really no problem at all in in Oakland right now. I think that's exactly right. I think his shots are down this season, but that's also a factor of 
there's increased involvement for some other guys in that system. Obviously, we we know that Steph is the driving force behind that offense, but you have the role players like Andre Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, and Draymond Green. Their shots are all up since last season, and they're hitting a bigger clip. And also, one other guy is Festus Azili. His involvement in the offense is much higher this season than last do you have any comments on that, Aaron? I sure do. Festus Azuli, Vanderbilt Commodore. It's his third season in the league. He actually was drafted a year before that, but he uh, missed a full season in 2013-14. But long story short, he's playing a little more than 19 minutes per game, only averaging 8.2 points per game. Doesn't sound like a heck of a lot, but this is for an undefeated team right now that, that's just historically great. And he's nearly doubled his minutes from 11 to 19.4. And I would agree with Andy that a large part of that is the health. He was banged up last season, only ended up getting in 46. And he only started seven times all of last season. He's already started 10 of their 20 games this season. Bogut is not what he was last season. That's part of it. But the health for Azili and the confidence. He's up to over six rebounds a game. He's making more than 56% of his shots. And he's a big guy. A lot of people talk about the small ball lineups for the Warriors. He's 6'11", 265. He can bang with the best of them in the post. And he's made the best out of his opportunity thus far this season. We want to also talk about Luke Walton. And he's not going to get any of these wins, but... Does that matter? Who cares, really? We won't talk about that. Andy wouldn't want us to. But what we will talk about is the issue of resting, guys. Joshua, starting with you, what do you make of this whole thing that Andy talked about in our previous episode about how Steve Kerr would be a lot more active and willing to rest star players regardless of what they thought, that he basically would have the bigger picture in mind and be able to execute more of his substituting patterns at will compared to Luke Walton. I think if it's true, it's unfortunate that Luke Walton doesn't feel like he can do what's best for the team. He shouldn't be afraid of how his, his players might react. He should just realize that they're a championship team that should win the championship if if they don't it's a the season's going to be a failure although there are many great contending teams it's win a, another championship or bust for them i think and, i think that's an excellent point all these records that they're hoping to break it's cool and all but i think the championship no one would argue that that's the ultimate goal so lauren Luke Walton, he's going to have to make decisions for the long term as opposed to the here and now. Is that correct? That's true. I'm a little bit more reluctant to characterize it as him being less comfortable with the players and less willing to pull him out for personal reasons as opposed to, I don't know if that's just his coaching style, but I will say that last season we talked about the Warriors' health being a big factor in why they were so successful. They were able to avoid injuries. And uh, at least a lot of that is because of how Steve Kerr was able to manage minutes, especially playing the star players in very few fourth quarters, especially when they got out to such big leads. Injuries are so much more 
common in the late game situations when you're already tired and it, all it takes is one misstep for you to twist an ankle or hurt your knee or something. So if Luke Walton's system, he's less willing to pull guys in close games, even though even if it might mean a loss in the short term, then hopefully that won't have a detrimental effect on the season as a whole. And just a, a quick hitter for both of you guys. Alvin Gentry, it stands to reason, would have been the interim coach if he didn't leave for New Orleans. Obviously, he should have taken that opportunity when he had it, but how do you think he feels watching Luke Walton he not get credit officially on his win-loss record for the wins, but he's presiding over all these wins while Alvin Gentry is Strug City over there in New Orleans? I'm sure Alvin Gentry is probably watching what's going on and, and thinking what might have been for him in, in Golden State or in Oakland, rather. But, of course, like you said, Aaron, he had to take the Pelicans' job when, when it was offered to him. And who would have expected them to have such difficulty so far? Yeah, we don't really... I don't think there's anything else that needs to be said. Lauren, did you want to add anything? No, not really. Oh, no. I think, like... When you're offered a head coaching job with someone like Anthony Davis, who you hopefully can mold into the superstar that he's going to be, you're not going to flinch at that opportunity. And the Warriors have a lot of other assistant coaches on their bench who are very capable also, especially Ron Adams, often touted as one of the best assistant coaches in the league that hasn't been a head coach yet. So That's true. He's been around a long time. They really have a deep staff, and um, everyone knows their role on the coaching staff in the front office, not just the players. Andy was talking a lot about the front office, too. So we definitely recommend giving that a listen if you haven't yet. It's our previous episode, episode 8A. But that's enough of the Warriors talk for now. We'll do a lot more maybe even in the episode, but a lot more in future episodes too. They're obviously so relevant. So that's it. Music, keep on playing. Welcome back. In this segment, we're going to talk about a couple stories about media coverage of the NBA for a change. First, we'll touch on Kevin Durant's comments after being asked about his reaction to Kobe's retirement announcement. And here's some choice quotes from his response. I've been disappointed this year because you guys treated him like He's a legend, and all I hear is about how bad he's playing, how bad he's shooting, time for him to hang it up. You guys treated one of our legends like shit, and I didn't really like it. Hopefully now you can start being nice to him now that he decided to retire after this year. It was sad the way he was getting treated. Those are some strong comments from KD. I know you have an opinion about this, Aaron. What do you think? Do you think he has a point here, or... Or do you think he's a little bit unfair to the media? I don't think he has a point here. 
I like that Kevin Durant is outspoken about issues that are important to him. And before I say why I disagree with Kevin Durant, I want to point out that I'm not one of those people that says so-and-so should only stick to talking about basketball. He's a basketball player. That's all he has the right to talk about. I couldn't disagree with that more. Players, especially superstars like Kevin Durant, should use their influence if there's an injustice that they want to correct or raise awareness about. But no injustice occurred. Kobe Bryant has been outright miserable on the court this season, and that's why the tone of the media has reflected that. They're doing their job for their outlet and for their readers, reporting the facts, delving into depth about it. So I'm sorry, Kevin Durant, that you idolized Kobe, and now, sadly, he's seen better days. But I think the media is doing its job pretty well, actually. And I also want to point out that I'm not one of those journalists that rushes to defend journalists at all costs. I can be critical of fellow journalists when they do a poor job with a story, when they do something that's immoral, wrong, or shows lack of judgment or discretion. But like I said, I don't think any injustice occurred. So I think Kevin Durant's off base here. I think it's just a reaction for Kevin Durant seeing so much negativity hurled at his idol. And it's natural, but do you think there's a general tendency in the media, especially in the NBA, to focus more on negativity than, say, Kobe had a great night against the Wizards where the Lakers got a win and we didn't hear that much about it? What do you think about that, Josh? I think that's a good point, Lauren, that the media tends to focus more on when players are struggling and negatives rather than positives. I think it's kind of human nature sometimes because when players who have been good for so long have serious struggles, it is a big story. If if they're just continuing to succeed, there's nothing really to talk about because it's not a departure from the norm that we're used to. So to me, it makes sense. And I understand, like Lauren said, why Durant would be upset that his idol is basically being lambasted. But Kobe Bryant is having a miserable season on the court. He is hurting his team's efforts. And the only thing he's really doing for them is they're going to have a worse record and a better chance at a top pick. So there's something to be said for that too. But I think the, the media's treatment of Kobe Bryant is fair. There is no injustice being inflicted here. Can I point out the Wizards game, and no one said this explicitly, but I just wanted to point out that the Wizards game that Lauren referenced just um, in the question to Joshua just now occurred after Durant's quotes, and that was easily Kobe Bryant's best game of the season. I believe he had 31 points. It did take him 24 shots, but um, he's never really been Mr. Efficient. But compared to the rest of his games this season, that was a very good game for him. And he got love that he deserved for having a a better game, more characteristic of the Kobe that we know and love. And I'm hesitant to say we know and love, but that people know and love. But I, I think that the media might be more likely to embrace negative headlines But I think what's more important is what Joshua said, that if it's out of the norm from what we expect, 
So if it's a guy who was averaging five points per game the previous season and he's averaging 15 or 20, then that's going to be a positive storyline because this guy just came out of nowhere and he was an afterthought or just no one talked about in the previous season. Whereas Kobe Bryant, three years ago, he was playing at an elite level, I would say, about three years ago. So that's why it's it's so newsworthy. I think newsworthy is the word that is what we should be talking about. And it's not a negative. I think a lot of people, maybe Durant in this case, and, and fans of Kobe and the Lakers think that because a reporter does something that's newsworthy or covers something in such a way to maximize views or reads is a negative. I don't think so. I think that you have to have the business perspective of what's the most interesting and newsworthy for readers in the back of your mind because just like basketball is a business, so is journalism. If Kobe Bryant has one good game in 21 or 20 games, that's kind of misleading and not offering the full context if you're just praising him and saying, oh, his game was so great when the previous 19 were dreadful. So you're going to have to include the context and and offer a fair representation of his entire season to date. Another story about the media in the NBA right now unfolded while we were doing our interview with Andy Liu after the Jazz game against the Warriors on Monday. A reporter for Basketball Insiders and KSL.com, Ben Dowsett, was in the locker room and he noticed some of the Warriors players being, as he says, very dismissive against the Jazz team, laughing at the concept that they were playing at a championship caliber level or just in general that they would be a championship caliber team. And he thought that was very disrespectful and tweeted his thoughts about it. And then the Warriors players, when they got wind of this, they were very... I don't want to say offended, but there's some, they had some thoughts that they tweeted back at them. They made their displeasure known. Especially they were, they were very upset. Draymond Green and Andrew Bogut were talking about generally too many people who aren't important get locker room credentials and don't know how to handle themselves in the locker room or don't know the etiquette. What do you think of this idea that... Do you, th- do you think Ben Dowsett's comments were out of line, Aaron? Do you think there is sort of locker room etiquette for reporters when they do get credentialed? I think there is an etiquette, and sometimes it's a thin line. And I think what Ben Dowsett tweeted arguably could have crossed the line, but it may not have. It's not so cut and dry. There are certain personal things that are beyond the bounds of, of what's fair to report on that crosses the line between what's relevant to what a basketball fan would want to read or would even need to know. Maybe they would want to know that, but that's TMZ-type material that's not relevant. But this pertains to the basketball side, kind of. It depends on your opinion, given that he was saying that they were acting cocky about a tweet that appeared on TV and just about some of the questions that were asked about the Utah Jazz. So, I mean, I think that's a thin line. But I take issue with the fact that Draymond Green and Andrew Bogut are implying that he's just a blogger, he doesn't know how to act, and he shouldn't be credentialed because although I've never met him, he seems like he's a 
a decent qualified reporter who has the right intent and didn't do anything that was blatantly wrong, I think that he should continue to be credentialed. And you didn't say this in the question, but Andrew Bogut suggested that there are certain reporters that just go in the locker room and look for observations to make and then tweet them to become famous online and they don't even ask any questions. First of all, I doubt that that really happens. I think a lot of times reporters are just waiting for their particular player that they want to craft their story around to come available. But still, regardless, they have that right. They have that window of time to be in the locker room and do their job. So I don't think people are really doing that. And if there are reporters that are doing that, then that's up to the PR department or the NBA to revoke their credentials. But this doesn't seem like that's the case. So not a cut and dry issue, kind of a long, complicated answer I gave you. But it's it's interesting how outspoken Draymond Green and Bogut were about this for sure. Yeah, there's been a lot of stories, especially from Michelle Roberts, the director of the Players Association this year, about being stricter about who's able to get locker room credentials or the availability of players to media and I think she's just trying to protect her guys from stories like this coming out and I've heard people say that there is sort of an expectation in the locker room that certain things that if if they aren't responses to direct questions they are there's a de facto sense that they should be off the record but then again like you do have this allotted media availability time where reporters are in your locker room and you know that they are because they only have a certain amount of time where they're allowed to be there so as you said it's a thin line it's it's often blurry we don't know who's on the right side all the time and you can you can see both sides of the situation probably the thing with michelle roberts i think is interesting She's been outspoken, too. I've been using that word outspoken a lot on today's episode, but she is just just right out there with what she believes, and she's been unapologetic in advocating for the players, but the media have to push back on, on some of these things. A lot of what she's talked about, and I don't have any direct quotes in front of me, have appeared to want to curtail the rights of media members and could get in the way of them telling the best story possible. And the NBA, bottom line, is a business. And the media are helping the NBA get their product out there. And so I think that while Michelle Roberts, her goal is to protect the players, she needs to keep that in mind that it's a machine and the media are part of the machine in publicizing the players and not any publicity is good publicity but really this story is not really that bad for Draymond Green and and Stephen Curry I mean I can see that it would make them look a little bit bad but now the Warriors are being talked about more than they were and that's saying a lot well that closes out another episode of On the NBA Beat as usual great stuff from my co-host Lauren Lee Chan and Aaron Fishman We'll see you next time. 9A coming your way soon.